All right, let's pray together. Father, this morning we come humbly before your word in eager expectation for you to speak. Father, no matter the weeks that we've had, God, I pray that you would meet us here, that you would clear our hearts, God, of any distraction, distractions, that you would help us to fix our eyes on you. So, Lord, as we begin a new series, God, may you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to comprehend uh, the message and the word that you have for us. As we embark on this adventure, Father, and diving deep into the book of Romans, God, may it be a blessing. Father, I pray that these won't be ears that just go over us, God, but we would encounter the King. We would encounter God, that we would encounter you, Lord, in uh, in this series and through these words that you have written and spoken through the Apostle Paul. And Father, I thank you as a church we can gather uh, on Sunday, even though the day is coming nearer, Lord, that we could be able to see each other face to face. God, I pray that you would call your church to continue to meet and gather and be strong, uh, just as we are doing now. So be with us this morning, and may you do as you only do what only you can do, God, and proclaim good news to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, uh, LLC. I'm glad uh, you're able to join us uh, this morning. We are starting a new sermon series uh, through the book of Romans, uh, and I'm I'm excited. It's been it's taking us some time to prepare for this uh, a series and to see uh, how God will lead us in the series, how long it's going to be, uh, and and the direction that God's going to uh, take us. Um, uh, we're, we're entitling this uh, series uh, the letter of a uh, letter to the Romans, uh, the gospel. Uh, and it's all about the gospel, and we're going to entitle it The Power uh, of the Gospel. Uh, that we're going to see how, through the book of Romans, that everything about Romans, it is about the gospel. It is about Jesus. It is Paul's uh, letter to the Romans, but it is his uh, systematic theology, if you will, of understanding the grace uh, that we have through uh, Jesus. And uh, at first, it, I remember saying that it's going to take us 16 weeks, but as I dove deeper into it. There's so many great parts of this book that we just can't skip over. And we're going to read every single word and we try our best to go over every single word of, of this wonderful letter to the Romans that was written to a real people, uh, to a real church, uh, written by Apostle Paul, by a real person as well. So we're going to dive into this book uh, for the next uh, six months. So this is actually going to take us all the way from now uh, to Christmas uh, and into the Advent season. And we're going to go deep into this book and we're going to study it and we're going to see the word God has for us. And you might be thinking this morning, uh, this morning you're sitting there, you're like, man, six months, that's a, that's a very, very, very long time. Well, you know, in, in some of our readings of the outlines of this book, some, some churches have taken years into the book of Romans. So you should thank me, actually, uh, that we're only doing six months uh, in, into the book of Romans. But it's going to be good. Uh, there's some uh, great passages, some key passages in, in Romans that you see some that you hang up on your wall, uh, some that are printed on uh, mugs. But my prayer really is for you that it's not going to be put on the wall or it's not going to be put on a mug, but it's going to be placed in your heart. It's going to be carved into your heart that God's going to transform you through this passage, through these passages and through, these le- uh, through this letter uh, that Paul has written. So if you haven't already, and I know um, it might have been, been a while since you read through the book of Romans, I want to challenge you even this week as we get started to read through the book of Romans just in one shot. Uh, take some time uh, to sit down quietly this week and to read through the whole book of Romans for yourself and uh, to read it, to chew on it, to d- digest it, and to hear what God is speaking uh, and, and to see uh, for yourself uh, the power of, 
of his words. And I'm also going to challenge you throughout the weeks that uh, I, I know what we do here at, at church, especially in kids ministry in Awana and on Sundays that we, we like to challenge our, our kids to memorize scripture. Well, I want to challenge you to memorize scripture as well, that I'm going to put, put up uh, some key verses every single week or try to anyways, just for you to chew on the, that week, uh, whether you put it on your post-it note, whether you put it on your Bible, whether you put it in your car, whatever it is uh, for you to, to remember. And, and the passage today for you uh, for this week is from Romans 1, uh, 16 to, to 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, the righteousness that is, written, that, that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, that's my challenge to you to memorize that. Obviously, I haven't memorized it myself. Uh, so I've, I've preached first to myself and, and challenged uh, myself to do it. I'm not going to test you. I'm not going to put you over Zoom and be like, hey, recite to me right now. Uh, but that's just my challenge to you that uh, God will remind you and, and speak through, to you uh, through the scripture. And as I mentioned already, Romans is ultimately about the gospel. Uh, that, that, that's, that's what Romans is about. It's all about uh, the gospel. And, and Paul is writing a letter to someone he hasn't yet met, uh, which uh, Howard has read for us. You can't see, he hasn't actually met the church in Romans, but he has heard that there's Christians in Romans. Uh, at that time, the center of the world, uh, the, the big city, uh, that, that he heard that there's Christians there and he's wanting to meet them. And this is actually Paul's longest letter uh, in, in scripture that we, that, that, that's recorded. We, this is the longest letter, something like 7,114 words. Uh, the longest and also the longest greeting, uh, which you'll see uh, here uh, this morning. And it was written in about around 67 AD or so. And now uh, it's I, I, why we call it the systematic theology is because what Paul does is he hears the gospel of, of grace, the gospel from Jesus and the good news of Jesus. And he sees and he takes it, he tries to understand and break it down to pieces. So the first 11 chapters uh, are, are his his way of understanding the gospel systematically of it flushing it out. So we're going to talk about some deep and serious topics like, like, like sin. And, and we're going to talk about what grace means. We're going to talk about what righteousness looks like. We're going to talk about, is it justification by faith or uh, what about works? And what about the history of, of the Jewish nation and Gentiles? Now uh, we're going to talk about uh, topics like, um, is it, is it election? Uh, did God choose us before? Do we have free will? We're going to talk into these really heavy duty topics and you'll see why we'll need some time. Uh, to flush them out. And then chapters 12 to 16 onwards just get very practical, uh, very practical in terms of how do we deal with racial tension? How do we deal with unity in the church? Well, how do we deal with our own spiritual gifting? Uh, how, how do we uh, talk about uh, human sexuality and, and the role of marriage? Like all, all these big topics, Paul flushes that out in, uh, in chapters uh, 12 to 14. So we're going to have to come back for a couple months uh, until we get into uh, those, those, those topics. Uh, but here, I, I'll be honest with you. I have a confession. Uh, I, I've been feeling and sensing that we needed to go through the book of Romans for a long time. But in some ways, I've been hiding from it, uh, partially and mostly uh, because I've been feeling inadequate and intimidated by the book of Romans. That uh, there have been a lot of great men and women beforehand that have preached through this gospel, uh, this, this letter about the gospel, and have found it challenging. And for me, it's, it's been difficult uh, for me, I've been felt like I'm, I'm worthy of, of preaching uh, this word and I still exactly don't feel the most prepared and feel good enough, uh, as it were. 
um, because there are some uh, heavy duty uh, words. I just don't want to get it wrong. But in my prayer, and as God was speaking to me, God was convicting my heart. And, and God is telling me, Doug, just, just go and preach. Go and preach the gospel. Doug, go and give the church the gospel because that's what we need. At this time in history, when the world seems like it's going down, when everything seems like it's disconnected and so much pain in the world, they don't need any more conversation. They don't need any more dancing around the topic. They need the gospel. So Doug, you preach the gospel and I am going to work in your church, in our, in our church, and in your city, and in our nation. So just give them the gospel. And that's really what today is all about, and the book of Romans is all about. It's about the gospel, because simply this, the big idea is this, that the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything about us. It changes everything about our church. It changes everything about our city and our nation. The gospel changes everything. I'm not sure how many of you know the, the vision statement uh, for our congregation. Um, if not, I'll put it up for you. It's right here. <laughs> it's for all to receive and live out the love of Christ. That, that is the vision that we have set forth as a congregation to go off. That our prayer and our hope and our vision and our, and our dream that as a church will help everyone for all to receive and to live out the love of Christ. And I'm not sure if you ever took a moment to think about this and to think about how do we actually try to make this happen? How does this actually come about? How do we accomplish this? And the answer is this, as, and the answer is the same as how God did it in the early church until now, is that he used his church and that he used his people, that he used his people to proclaim the gospel. He used his people to disciple. He used his people to reach out and, and into the nations and to proclaim his good word, that he uses you. And my prayer through these six months and, and onwards, and I think I'm speaking on behalf of our leadership, is that we, we have this hunger and desire to reach out to our city and not just to put on events, not just to put on a show, but to really get down to the core of the gospel and to preach that, that people will understand and to see it, that there will be a culture of discipleship as well at our church, that we will pass on and help people to walk with Jesus and to walk with him. And there's no, uh, and this book is going to help us to do that. And that's my prayer as we go through this, that it won't just be words, that we'll come to have this re-understanding re, re of the gospel, that we will go forth and have this renewed fire within us. And then at the end of the six months, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So this happened to be uh, that, that, that way. But, but what, is, what is the gospel? And you might have heard this before if you've been in the church. Uh, and if you haven't, um, well, we're going to take a little bit of time to, to explain it. Like, what is the gospel? It comes from the Greek word euangelion. And we've heard this before. The gospel is the good news. And we break down the Greek word into two parts. You, uh, meaning good. Uh, at a funeral, there usually is a what? A eulogy, a good word that's given about the person that has just passed. So you means good. And angelion means message. It means news. So euangelion means the good news. The, the gospel isn't just good advice. It's not just something good to do. It's not just a good thought. Uh, it's good news. It's good news to anyone who accepts it and believes it and takes it on. And we see here in, in Romans chapter 1 and that, that, there, that Paul breaks it down for us to understand what the gospel is about. What is the gospel? He breaks it down in verse 1, uh, B, that, that it's of God. Uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called him an apostle and set apart for what? The gospel of God. That this gospel, this good news, isn't something that we've made up. 
isn't uh, something that the church has fabricated and made up. It's, it's, it's a gospel. It's the good news. It's the word from God himself. He's the creator. It's, it's from him. So Paul is saying that I don't go around preaching a gospel of myself. I don't go around bringing the good news of whatever I think it is. No, it's, it's, it's of God. It's, it's from God. And we read on in, in verse 2 that this gospel, it was promised. It was promised beforehand that since the garden, uh, since at Genesis, more specifically since Genesis 3.15, that there's been a promise that God has given his people, that there will be good news for you, that I am going to save you, that there will be salvation for people who have faith in me, who continue to walk uh, their lives in me. So we see that it's of God, that's the gospel, that's not fabricated, made up by man or by someone, that it was promised beforehand that God has a plan to save his people. And maybe perhaps even most importantly, as we read in verse 3 here, that it's regarding his, his son. Uh, that it's regarding his son in verse 3a, uh, verse 3a there. That it's always been about his son, this good news. That that's always been the plan that he had, has. That the gospel is good news regarding his son not about someone else but about jesus and what he has done for us how he came and and, and, and walked this earth as a human being who was 100 percent man but also 100 percent god he lived this perfect perfect life and he died on that cross for me and for you only to be risen on the third day again and now is seated in heaven on the right hand of heaven uh, and, and and that that is our understanding that the gospel is regarding his Son, it's all about Jesus. He's at the center of it all, and everything is around him. And you know for yourself, and for me as I'm thinking about that, is Jesus, if I understand the gospel, is Jesus at the center of my life? As it is in Paul, uh, is in Paul's life, is Jesus at the center of my life? Because one of the markers is this, that if Jesus isn't truly at the center of my life, then can I really say that I understand the gospel? then can I really say that God, I've accepted God? Can I really say that, that I understand and accept the, the gospel, the good news for myself if Jesus isn't at the center? And, and, and this is important, uh, why Jesus has to be the center, because Jesus is who he says he is. As I read here again in verse 3, regarding his son who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of heaven, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That we see here that Jesus, he is the promised Messiah. He's from the line of David, that he is the one you have been looking for. He is the one that can save us. He is the one that can rescue us and rescue our world from the state that it is in because he is the promised Messiah. And he is the son of God. He is our Lord. Uh, called and, 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 and brought to us uh, by, uh, uh, through the spirit of holiness. And there's some d debate. Uh, I'm not going to go through every single debate there is, but understanding who this is. But commonly, we understand this to be the Holy Spirit who appointed the Son of God, that is Jesus, by the power of his resurrection from the dead. That when he died and he rose again, it wasn't that he wasn't the Son of God beforehand, but it was through that humbling of himself that he was risen to the, to, to the state that he was exalted to the whole world that now we understand that he is, he is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah. So you see the good news is good because of the goodness of who it points to. The good news is good because of the goodness of who it points to. And it points to this Jesus 
that we ought to accept and to, to, and to believe and to, and to, and, and to uh, place into our lives. You see, we often say in the church terms, we use these big churchy, uh, churchy terms that we have to repent and we have to confess. And, and, and that's true. But there's a second part to that, that we need to repent and confess to the right person, to the right Jesus, uh, to the right understanding of Jesus. Because many of us, I, I'm praying, I'm hoping that, uh, that God will reconfigure our understanding and place again the foundation and remind us in our hearts again the foundation of who this Jesus is. Is because if we have a false understanding or a false belief of who this Jesus is, it'll lead to a false faith. It'll lead to a false following, a false living out of the gospel. If we don't have a true understanding of what the good news is, and at the center of the good news, this Jesus, because it's regarding uh, this Jesus. And as we start off in ch chapter one here, the first half half of chapter one, now we'll see this: that Paul is a person that has experienced the gospel. He doesn't just understand the gospel. He doesn't just intellectually know the gospel. It's not that he's just memorized the gospel, but he has experienced the gospel. That he has lived it out, that he understands it, that he has experienced and encountered the risen Lord himself. And we see these three things in the Apostle Paul that we see that for those that experience the gospel, there's a change in person. Secondly, there's a change in purpose. And thirdly, they live out in power. And we're going to see this in the verse 17 verses here with the remaining time that we have. So let's dive into it. There's a change in person. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, as we see in verses 1, uh, beginning in verse 1 here, that he is the ser a servant of Christ Jesus. This, this word for servant means total devotion. It means the giving up of yourself for your master for the person that's leading you it's total devotion it's, it's suggesting and telling us just from this one word that he uses there that he's all in for jesus all in no hindrance nothing holding him back that he's all in he's a servant of jesus and we see this that paul this he has changed if you understand the history of paul and his his past this is what he says about himself in Philippians 3, 5 to 6. He's circumcised on the eighth day, so he's done everything right as, as a Jewish man of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. So he was a teacher of the law there. He was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, he was faultless to the period, to the T, like he was perfect in who he was, but yet he encountered this Jesus on the road to Damascus and it changed his identity forever. It changed his personhood. The gospel changes how you view yourself. The gospel changes how you see yourself. The gospel changes everything about your identity. And we see if you get the gospel, if you understand the gospel, if you have the gospel, your whole identity will be changed. It will be changed from who it was to who to what it is going to be now and what God is calling you to be. It's fascinating. Take some time this, this week to read through Acts chapter 9. You see uh, Saul there uh, encountering, uh, uh, encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, this Saul and Paul is the same person, so you read of his story. And we see here, how did, and you often wonder, how did Paul become the passionate man of God that he is, that we read of here in this Letter, and we see that here the passion it doesn't come come with without an encounter first. 
that passion doesn't come without an encounter, that he encountered Jesus and that changed everything about his identity. So Paul, he calls himself, he's now, instead of persecuting the church, instead of going around beating and, 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 and executing Christians, instead of just living to the law and following those set of rules, he's not following a, a rule, he's not following a religion anymore, he's following a person. He has a relationship with God and that changes his identity. And he challenges the church in Romans to do the same, remember your identity. Remember, if you have accepted the gospel, if you understand the gospel for what it is, then your identity would change as well. He reminds them, the Roman church in verses 6 to 7, and you also are among those Gentiles, those are non-Jewish, who are called to what? Belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That just as Paul was called uh, to be an apostle, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, that he's calling his, that the church in Rome is to remind them that you belong to Jesus Christ, that that is your new identity, that you belong to Christ. Not only that, but you're loved by God. That is your new identity. You're not loved by anything else in this world. You don't get your worth from anything else in this world. Your love and your identity and your foundation is in Jesus Christ alone, and that's all that matters. And that you are his holy people because you believe you're holy, you're set apart. And other translations like the ESV, you're called to be saints. That's where our understanding of the word saint comes from. That you are saints, not by anything that you've done, but because of what God has placed upon you, which we'll get into in a little bit later. But he reminds the church here that you belong to Jesus Christ. And there's an old saying and an old way of believing. I don't truly believe this, and I think we got this wrong, is that you need to believe, then you become, and then you belong. That as a church, as a model, we have to say you have to believe first. You have to accept the gospel, understand the gospel fully before you can become and before you belong to the church. But here we're reminded that God's call on us, God's call on you, if you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the gospel and you're not a Christian yet, that the God's call for you first is to belong. It's to belong, it's to come and to see. Because what do we see in Matthew 4, 19? When, when Jesus calls the disciples, he says, what? Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And the disciples at that point were like, I don't really know what you're talking about. I don't really believe and understand what's going on here. But you know what? I'm going to come and walk with you. I'm going to come and follow you. And that's the call for you this morning. And for us as a way of ministry is, hey, come and, come and see. You belong here because why? Because God says you do. Because God wants you here. God wants you to be in this relationship uh, with him. So one of the big questions for us this morning, for you this morning, is how has God changed your view of yourself? If you accepted the gospel, then you have a new identity. Then you have a new way of seeing yourself. Paul saw himself as a servant. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself now? What is your new identity based on? Is it in the gospel? Is it in Jesus? Or is it in blank? Fill in the blank. Is it in your work? Is it in your studies? Is it in your self-strength? Is it in a set of rules? When we understand the gospel, it changes our identity. Because if you understand the person you are, it will also change your purpose. If you understand your identity, it will change the way that you live. It will change the purpose of your living. 
And we see this in verse 1, that Paul, he wasn't just a servant, but he was called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That was his new purpose, flowing from his identity. You see, we can't go out and the church isn't just about living and doing things. Our activity has to flow from our identity, has to flow from our understanding of who we are, our, 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 our personhood. Our purpose has to flow from our, our personhood. And we see here that Paul, because of his new understanding, is set apart for the gospel of God. That means he's, he's dedicated to God's act of salvation. This also means he's, he also says he's, a, he's an apostle. This apostle means that the sent one. So he's a messenger. And that's why we often use the word apostle for missionaries, that you're sent out. Uh, to uh, the different places in the world that in some sense we say that if you're a missionary that you have a heart in the gifting of, of, of apostleship uh, for those that are still called to be apostles but but from our biblical understanding of the original 12 apostles uh, 13 if you you include uh, Paul here that no that that season of apostleship has ended with Paul there because for, 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 to be an apostle, you have to see the risen Jesus. And you have to be uh, distinctively called by him to a specific mission. So though all of us are called, not all of us can be apostles because there are only those that have seen Jesus risen as he did on Damascus Road for Paul. So this is his, his understanding that it, changes, it changed him altogether to his purpose now, that he's an apostle, that he's a missionary, he's going out, and he's going to declare the risen Jesus just as how he saw and we ought to t- uh, pay attention to this, that he's an apostle. This means that his words aren't his words, that he's bearing the full authority of Jesus there, that he's speaking the words of Jesus himself as, as Jesus is, is speaking to his church, that he is speaking to us now, that he's set apart for the gospel. And what Paul means by this is, again, that he's dedicated to the acts of God for salvation. That's what he's for now, that everything he do is to proclaim the gospel of God. This means that's the purpose of his life. And that's ought to be for us. If we understand that, that ought to be the purpose of our lives. If we understand that we've accepted the gospel, no matter what it is to share the gospel, to proclaim the good news, not from a stage, not in front of a camera, but with our lives and with our words, with our relationships that we have to proclaim the good news. Because the challenge is there for you too, that you have also been set apart for the gospel of God. And if we understand the gospel, then we all also need to understand what is our way of sharing the gospel? What is your way of sharing the gospel in the everyday? Because it's not just a thing to do, the gospel, preaching the word, proclaiming the good news. It's not just the thing to do, but it's a way of life. As you go, you are sharing the gospel no matter where it is that you are. So you do what you can do to be a missionary at your workplace, in your school. That you're looking, that means your purpose, you see it now, that you're looking for opportunities to share the good word. No matter where it is that you are, you share the gospel through different ministries that you serve in. Not from a stage necessarily, not in front of a camera again, not in a big platform, but you look for opportunities to share the gospel. That's why we serve. You realize that. That's what we serve, and that's what part of us building the church up, that we're proclaiming the gospel and all of that. From AV, from the background to the front, and everything in between, from kidsmen to the welcome ministry, from alpha to life groups, everything is about sharing, proclaiming the gospel, and reminding each other, this is the good news. 
This is what we need to hear time and time and time again. And it continues on saying, through him, we received this grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake, Romans 1.5. This fascinating here, that obedience that comes from faith. That obedience is interesting here because those of us who obey, we obey because not because we have to, but because we have this faith. That our faith is what's driving our obedience. That's not just out of obligation, not just because we have to do something. It's coming out of this faith that obedience comes from faith. So where there is faith, get this guys, where there is faith, when there's belief, there is also obedience. That they're never apart, that they're always together. When there is faith, there is obedience. And when there's obedience, what's driving that is, is, is faith. It can't be separated. It can't be placed on different levels. For our understanding of the gospel and our understanding of Christianity has to be this, that obedience and faith comes together from our understanding of the good news, from our understanding of Jesus being at the center. And that's why Paul says this in verses 14 to 15. I am obligated, and I, I'm not sure about you, but that word sure rub, uh, rubbed me the wrong way when I first read it, that I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. So therefore, Paul talks about Greeks and non-Greeks, Jews and Gentiles a lot. Basically, his, that's his way of saying to everyone that I'm obligated to everyone. Uh, and that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel. Because he's obligated, because he has his weight, because he has this understanding, the faith, drives our obedience, that he's so eager to proclaim the gospel no matter where it is. Not in a condemning way, but in a convicting and loving way. That that's what's driving his, his ministry, ministry here. That this word for obligated means he feels indebted. He feels indebted to God for his salvation because of how he has encountered God. He feels indebted. He feels responsible to share the gospel to everyone. And can we say that? Can we say that we feel indebted and we feel responsible to share the good news to everyone around us, to proclaim the gospel through our actions and through the words, through the opportunities that we get, not in a forceful way, not in a hating way, but in a God-loving way, an obedient way to share the gospel. Can we say we have this, this passion because if, because if we don't, there, there's something that needs to give there. There's something that needs to shift. There's something that needs to be understood. Because if, if you look in the world right now, in the disarray it's in, in the pain that it's in, and all the tensions that we see right now, with all the disunity that's in the world right now, what is the answer to all of that? What is the answer to bringing unity to the world? And I believe not just because I'm a pastor, not because I'm just, I'm just saying this, but from the good word himself, from Jesus himself, I believe that it is the gospel that's the answer to unity. We're not to run around trying to find solutions all in different ways. Yes, we are to go off and, and, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But ultimately, without the gospel, we're running out in vain because the gospel has the power to change you. That the word of God has the power to change you. And that's why it's banned in 52 countries in the world. Because people know that. Because people understand that. That's why it's banned in the world. The gospel has the power to change you. The gospel has the power to heal broken relationships. It has the power to turn uh, the impossible situations around. It has the power to give hope when there is no hope. 
But the question for us here is that not only has it changed our identity, but has it changed our purpose? Do you feel obligated? Do you feel responsible this morning to share the gospel to your neighbor, to your family members, to your friends, to your coworker? And I want to say this, guys, in the most loving way possible, is that we need to do a heart uh, search our hearts this morning because if we don't feel responsible, if we don't feel an inkling to share at all, there's something wrong there. There's something wrong with our understanding of the gospel. I would even say you need to be honest with yourself. Have you even accepted the gospel? Have you really truly understood and taken on the gospel for yourself? Because our person and our purpose won't change unless you've truly encountered Jesus. You won't live out in power unless you've encountered this Jesus. And Paul goes on in verse 16 here, for I am unashamed, not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Transform yourself. And even today, Rome is still a big city. It's still a place that everyone wants wants to be, but even more so back in the day in Paul's time and in Jesus' time, that Rome was the center of the world. It was the seat of power. It was the seat of commerce, of fashion and culture. It's a place where everyone wanted to go before they died. I'm not sure where you want to go before you die, but Rome was on everyone's bucket list back in the day because that was the place to be. And he is saying here to, to, to the Romans that I'm eager to come and preach to you. That was in verse 15. For why? Because I am unashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And because he says I'm not ashamed of the gospel, this means that there are some that are ashamed of the gospel. That means there is an example of what it means to live ashamed of the gospel. And I can see why in that day and age, and maybe Vancouver is also a big city with different cultures and different kinds of thinking. Like remember Rome is the seat of, of power and the seat of thinking. That's where philosophers also went to, to debate and to talk and to, and they talk about the higher things of life. And imagine you bringing the gospel to these heavyweight philosophers in this culture, in this big city, in this place. And maybe you could feel the sense of it just, you know what, when I bring the gospel, when we bring the good news that Jesus has come and died for you, that it just sounds foolish. It just sounds silly. It just sounds shameful. And Paul talks about this, that he says the gospel to some, it's a stumbling block, meaning they couldn't get past this. They couldn't understand how Jesus could be the way, the truth, and the life. And to others, it was foolishness. That just doesn't make any sense at all. That you go into this big city, and many of us are experiencing that today in Vancouver. You go out, and we go, and we want to tell people about the gospel. And, and for some of us, we're wrestling with this idea that the gospel just seems so small. It just seems so insignificant. It just seems so, so small and silly and foolish to the things that people are dealing with. And it is for, for some of us here today that we are ashamed of the gospel. That we don't want to sound ignorant. Have you ever been there? We don't want to sound ignorant or we don't want to sound irrelevant. That there's a moment there that we could speak a little bit of truth, not in that preachy way, but just be like, hey, this is what I believe in. This is the Jesus that I follow. This is what the good news means. That I have Jesus in the center of my life. That in those moments that we are feeling ashamed of the gospel, that we shrink back and we get scared of getting it wrong altogether. And we're ashamed of, 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 of the scriptures that we read. That we try to hide our faith. But Paul is saying here that he is not ashamed. 
Why? Because it is the power of God. It is the power of God that this understanding of power is tied to the Old Testament teaching of power, of, of, of God coming in, in a thunder and in, in lightning. That it's an understanding that this power comes from this personal God who possesses power to deliver as he does in Exodus, but also power to judge and, and, and judge our lives and to and, and do, and do state uh, our, our, our position in this world and in relationship to him. And this power is not only power, but it's, it's power of God, it's from God that brings salvation. That's why he's not ashamed because he knows of the power. He knows of the treasure that he is yielding, that he is going out, that he possesses uh, in his own, own life. It brings salvation to everyone. It's a spiritual deliverance. This has power to change everything about a person as it did to Saul, as it did to, to Paul, that it changed everything about him. And it brings the salvation to everyone who believes. And that's why I pause right there and just ask you who here, I don't need to raise your hands here as I'm asking you this question. Who here can say you're an example of the power of God? That I was going in one direction. I had this belief. I had, I was struggling with this. I had these thoughts. I thought about this about my life, but God came and changed my life. The gospel came and transformed my life. That God came and flooded my life. That I am a living walking, breathing example of the power of God that brings salvation to people. Because Paul was that example. And he went on and he wanted to tell people of this. And not only this, that God has his power, not only does it bring salvation to everyone, but it's to anyone who believes. And this is important here. What does it mean to believe? It, it means to put a full trust in God. A full belief, a full trust in God is not to believe in a set of principles. And some of us are wrestling with that. That we boil down Christianity to a bunch of rules and a bunch of principles and that's what the gospel means to us. No, that's not what the gospel means. Some of us believe that uh, to believe means to believe in a set of rules. Uh, but in Christianity, it's actually to believe. What it means to believe, it means to believe in a person. It means to have a relationship. That just because we believe and understand and re read these words it doesn't mean we truly believe. We need to fully accept and take on the gospel, understand Jesus for who he is and take him on into our hearts, into our lives. And we have to understand this too, that just because we believe, it doesn't mean God is obligated to save us. And we'll get into that in later chapters here. The salvation, the saving work, it's something that God does himself. That It's a gift that God gives for us. So it leads to this final verse here. For in the gospel, why does it bring salvation? For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For connecting the last idea in verse 16, that the gospel is the righteousness of God and that is being revealed. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? It could mean a few things. It could mean his attribute, his character, that that is his righteousness. It could be uh, the status that we are given, uh, that is just the status that we're given by God, or it could mean the activity of God as well, that he's making things right. And I think this is how our understanding of this here, that for in the gospel, that he is making things right and is being revealed as the gospel is being 
proclaim that that what does it mean that God is righteous? That means that every decision that he makes is good and perfect. That he doesn't make a mistake. That he is righteous, that he is right in everything that he does. And right now, what's fascinating is that the word revealed is in the present tense, that every time the gospel is proclaimed, he is making things right. It never ends. It never stops. Every time the good news is proclaimed, he is doing something new. He is making things right. It's in the present tense. Every time you preach the gospel, you proclaim the good news, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, the righteousness of God is being revealed. I want to encourage you today, if you're feeling tired as a leader, if you're serving in any capacity, if you're feeling tired raising your family and raising your son and your daughter, if you're tired and feeling weary of being a Christian in your workplace, in your school place, or maybe even today you're not even sure where you're standing here in your faith. Every time the gospel is preached and proclaimed, God is doing something new. That means we don't need to chase a fancy program. That means we don't need to chase a fancy list of things we need to do. This means we just got to bring Jesus and proclaim who he is into the world and let him do the saving. Let him bring the salvation. Let, him, let, let Jesus do what only he can do. And as I end here this morning, there's really two application points and two thoughts for you to think about. Have you responded to the gospel? That's the first question. Have you responded to the gospel? Has that changed your person? And has that changed your purpose? And secondly, are you living unashamed of the gospel? And that ties into the first part. And maybe there's some repentance and some confession needed between you and God right now. That God would do something new and God would birth something new in your heart, in your life this morning. The gospel changes everything. Let's pray. Father, this morning, it's a heavy word that you've given us, but it's a strong and a word that we need to hear in our lives. And again and again, the gospel is not something we've accepted and believed a long time ago, but it's something we choose to live out and believe every single day. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for the good news in a world with so much bad news that we can hold on to this morning. So I pray for our church this morning, God, no matter what it is we've gone through, whether we have accepted your gospel or we need to hear it again and again and again, God, your grace is sufficient. Your mercies are new every single morning. So right now we're saying yes to you again, Jesus, that we want to believe in your good news. And may, as we begin this adventure and reading through the, the letter to the Romans, may you do a new work in our heart. May we experience and encounter Jesus as we read the words of scripture. May we receive new life as we come into a relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.